literally an institution in this town of digging up old photos, old stories, collections, everything you can imagine under the sun about this great city. Greasy spoons, dives, old clubs. If you love this city, you're going to love it even more. Real people, real stories, real places. This is the Austin Found Podcast. Welcome back to Austin Found. It is uh, good to have you back, and this is a real treat for Michael and myself, uh, Michael Barnes, and I'm J.B. Hager, both with the Austin American Statesman, and that is that we are face-to-face in April, early April of 2021, after a little break yeah. uh, with the pandemic, and uh, now we're both vaccinated and... And things are looking better. It's, and we can see each other and I talk know. to each other rather it, than... It really does help. The remote... And I think people know. You've been having Zoom meetings and yeah. stuff like that. It's been tough to yeah. do. And and we weren't even using any images, you know, of ourselves. We were just kind of talking into the air. <laughs> <laughs> right. So this is a real treat. It's nice to see you again face to face. And uh, what I really enjoy about Austin Found is the back and forth throughout history. You know, we we talk about places that were here as recently as 20 years ago. And like we did on some very early episodes, we're going back to, you know, when the Anglos first showed up and it was and Native way before Americans. before that, yeah. and when, uh, all the way back to the Paleo-Indians, maybe 20,000 years ago, according to some archaeologists. And so we bop back and forth. You're right. Yeah. It's, that's what's really great about the show. It's not in chronological order. You can just... Jump in on any episode at any time. And and, and today and, we're going to talk about Native Americans again. Yes, we are. We have talked about that before. And this is, you know, as we made a commitment to this, and I know you have, it's it's the good, the bad, the ugly. That's right. We're, warts and all history. The ugly part of uh, what happened to Native Americans in Texas is, you know, a term that we're all more familiar with in the last... 30 years, and that's called ethnic cleansing, but that's not what they called it back then. No, no. It, ethnic cleansing is a new term. It came up in the 1990s uh, to apply to the Balkan Wars, but it refers to uh, something that has happened throughout history, and that is one group clearing the land, essentially, of their enemies, uh, people who are different from them, different religion or different race exterminating them or expelling them. And that was definitely what was going on in the Balkan Wars. And the more we look deeply into it, that's what happened in Texas. What Native Americans were here about this time the Anglos first started showing up? That's the first part of it. And were many of them here for generations or were they pushed into here as the rest of America started pushing them out? The ones that had been here for a very long time that we can tell is the, the Caddos, the Karankwas and, and Tonkawas, the Umanos, the Apaches, the Wichita, Wacos, Kiowas. Some small tribes migrated down the Rio Grande Valley in, in 1680 after the Pueblo Revolt, which is an amazing story in itself. And the Tigua settled in the El Paso area. And then as the United States expanded west, you had all these different tribes being driven out of the South and the Midwest. And, and those are the Creeks and the Cherokees and the Kickapoos and the uh, Alabamas and the Cachadas and a lot of other tribes that we call now immigrant Native Americans because they were not here 
when the Spanish arrived, let's say. And just so everyone knows, Michael rattled off all those tribes with zero notes in front of him. We don't use notes for this. <laughs> this is really, you're really impressive. Stop. I mean, this, this is a subject that you seem very passionate about. I am, because I grew up wondering why there was not a more physical and social presence of Native Americans in Texas. I mean, you travel across the country and you, you see Native American settlements and clothing and food and so forth. Casinos. Mm-hmm. Things like that. But here, nothing. Yeah, as soon know? as you cross a state line, all yeah. of a sudden you're, you, it's, it's, it's a presence. It's like, and it, 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 when I was a kid in seventh grade, I wondered about that. But mm. it, it only slowly became more clear with books like the one that I was writing about, which is The Conquest of Texas, which uh, uses the term ethnic cleansing accurately to describe the extermination and, and expelling of Native Americans from Texas. What we saw in images and movies growing up, we all we all saw it as kids. It was tribes, you know, all of a sudden you'd see the Native Americans coming over the hillside, attacking these innocent settlers who are just trying to get along, get a piece of land and, and you know, and build a life. Or they'd be attacking the wagon train yeah. or the fort or the little town that was unprotected. And they were always the perpetrators. Uh, always. They, yeah. were, they, they were called in Texas new, newspapers depredations. But in fact, the fault for these uh, violent clashes uh, lay with both sides, as is often the case. Mm-hmm. Not only was it often the aggression of, of Anglo settlers, but you know, the mythical Texas Rangers that are very right. glorified. That's, this is kind of the good, the bad, the ugly right. part of it. it you know, they, they and, had a, a part in this as well. Th- there were good Rangers, there were honorable Rangers, but there were also a lot of Rangers who were just thugs. Um, they would go to Native American villages while the warriors were gone and, and kill the women and children and the elderly, burn their crops, scatter their livestock. These are not the tactics of honorable warfare, if there is such a thing, these were ruffians, I guess is another way to say it. Mm -hmm. We've talked in previous episodes about um, Native Americans and early Austinites living very harmoniously together. That's right. Uh, The Tonkos and the uh, Anglo-Americans in Central Texas generally were on the same side, especially against the raiding Comanches and Apaches. But that didn't last too long. They, too, were driven on their own trail of tears up to Oklahoma, where they settled in and around a town called Tonkawa. Give us a a time frame, and let's talk a little bit about the the population of Native Americans and the population of Anglos coming in and how the Anglo population grew rapidly. And what, what time frame is this that we're talking about? And when did the conflicts really well, escalate? Well, d- during the Spanish period, we don't have really good numbers. Uh, and we have uh, more and more accurate estimates. But we know that large numbers of Native Americans died of Eurasian diseases, and they continued to do so through the 19th century. Um, there are almost every story that I, uh, contemporary story that I read about contact with Native Americans, the either, you know, a group of them have smallpox or whatever, some Eurasian disease that they had no antibodies for. And so 
by the time that the Anglo-Americans came over in the first big wave in the 1820s, it was, uh, there were probably about 30,000 indigenous Indians and about 10,000 immigrant uh, Native Americans, the uh, ones very, driven out that's of... A very, that's the whole state. That's the whole state, yeah. That's like what the size of Kyle Buda, right? <laughs> For the whole state. It's really not many. Yeah. No, it's not many. I'm sure Kyle and Buda are both bigger than that now. Wow. The, the, the Anglo-Americans and African-Americans and the European immigrants kept coming and coming. So there were 600,000 of them by the Civil War. And the Native Americans were not expanding their population. By the 1870s, they'd been pretty much driven out of Texas. Now, I want to make it clear that individual and families of Native Americans, actually, the population is increasing in Texas right now, but we don't have those communities. We don't have, you know, a, a whole area of the state that is predominantly Native American, uh, like a lot of other Western states do. And, and this is interesting to me because, yeah, like like you said, as a kid, you wondered why there weren't many here. And it had a lot to do, which you can explain. I couldn't if I had all day. <laughs> uh, it had a lot to do with the status of Texas right. versus the rest of the United States. And right. this, this actually sheds a lot of light on why we don't have the presence here. If you think about it, we entered as a republic, becoming a state, we had a, a strong hand, although we were deeply in debt, and we demanded that we keep our land, our public land. Most of the other territories that became states, the federal government hung on to big chunks of land. A part of it is we, we agreed at one point to give away what we claimed in New Mexico and Colorado, because we claimed everything up to the source of the Rio Grande River. So. We decided, you know, or the U.S. and Texas decided we'd give that up. So the feds, whose problem now, the federal military, whose problem now were the Native Americans in Texas, could not offer them reservation land because it didn't belong to the feds. And now there were some temporary reservations on the upper Brazos, but as settlers got closer and closer, they too were driven out. So we end up now with three reservations, tiny reservations scattered across the state, and none of them are actually technically indigenous. The Alabama Cushada, they're immigrants. Kickapoo are immigrants. They're down on the Rio Grande. And the Tiguas uh, came down from New Mexico during the 1680 uh, Pueblo Revolt. So we have no reservations for our indigenous tribes. Again, this probably paints a graphic image in your mind, but tell us about the Council House Massacre. Also called the Council House Fight, depending on whose version of the story you hear. Uh, the Texians, the settlers, the white settlers were called Texians. Not, you're not mishearing that. Michael's not mispronouncing it. T-X-I-N-S. I'd never heard that term before. Texians. Texians and their counterparts, the Tejanos, who were the Texans of Mexican descent. The Texians and the Comanches were having a parlay at the council house in San Antonio, doing the normal things, exchanging prisoners. Um, regularly, for instance, the Comanches kidnapped Anglo children and women and then bargained to get things back prisoners back other things back so uh, at some point 
violence ensues, and depending on the way that you interpret it, it either was a fair fight between the Comanches and the Texians, or it, they just mowed down the Native Americans. And they were in a house of diplomacy, a place of diplomacy. So it was an outrage that the Comanches used for a lot of revenge raids after that. We were not going to be having peace with the Comanches for a long time. Hmm. As you dig into all this, did you ever think there might have been a chance that the immigrants and Native Americans across the country could have lived harmoniously together? Does that ever... Do you ever think about that? Well, yeah, and there were people who believed that. Yeah. There, there were Native Americans and immigrants who felt that was possible. Sam hmm. Houston thought it was possible. A lot of other people thought it was possible, but we had all these ideas inculcated into the general population. White supremacy, manifest destiny, the idea that we were destined to take the West. The difference between the European civilized, quote unquote, way of life and the the way of life of the Native Americans, whether settled and agricultural or nomadic and hunter-gatherers. So they were seen as the other by the, the newcomers. And less human? Less human. Less wow. than human sometimes. I, you know, I, I'll throw that. I don't have an exact number and I'm ballparking here, but I remember reading something to the effect of... In Native American languages, they well in English we might have three words to to describe a type of leaf or rock or something. Mm-hmm. Native American languages they might have a hundred or more mm-hmm. ways to describe it. It's mm-hmm. you know what I mean. It's a <laughs> highly intelligent thing. Oh yeah, oh absolutely. And you know the book to read on this of why this happened all over the world that the Europeans conquered people who had very sophisticated societies, even if they weren't, they didn't look like European society, Mm. is guns, germs, steel. Uh, If you ever get a chance to pull that out, fascinating book, because those three things gave the Europeans this advantage wherever they went in the world. And their ability to colonize the world uh, depended on the happenstance that they had developed steel weapons and they had guns you know and they and then and the germs <laughs> mm-hmm. from the eurasian diseases were just as deadly in your writing on this subject you referenced several books if people were going to take this is fascinating to me i want to read one book about this what one what should they read well you should always start with bury my heart at wounded knee the 1970 book by archivist d brown which Previously, historians have pretty much pretended like there was no record of what the Native Americans were thinking or saying. But in fact, people were taking down notes at all of these thousands of treaty parlays and trade negotiations and so forth. So in the archives, there are the sources were always there. And uh, this book that got me into this particular story about Texas, the scholar did the same thing. He dug deep into the archives, and we know exactly why. For instance, they might be angry at a particular time because they said they were angry and why. So I would start with uh, Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee. Some other great ones, Cult of Glory, the bold and brutal history of the Texas Rangers. 
and certainly this book uh, on ethnic cleansing called Conquest of Texas. Very good. We're giving people homework. That's what we're doing now. <laughs> Please don't think of it that way. There will be a pop quiz there, on no, the next episode. Think of it as fun. It's fun. It's, uh, as you have said earlier, we're in a time when people want to get it right. People want to get history right. They want to know how we got here. And not everybody, but they want to be on the right side of history. And I'm delighted that it comes at this time. <laughs> Uh, if you really enjoy stuff that is a bit more statewide, right. actually is statewide, you should subscribe to Think Texas and get the weekly newsletter for free. It is free. I want to emphasize that. Uh, we're never going to have a paywall or anything. It's a, a newsletter that goes out to, I think now, 7,000 subscribers across the state. And it's about Texas history. And... I write the lead column and the introduction, and then I link to about 15 different other uh, Gannett uh, USA Today network papers around the state. Some of them have really good regular history writers, like the Lubbock Avalanche Journal is really uh, good about covering West Texas history. But yes, it comes out every Tuesday, and it is free, and... You can sign up for it at the newsletters page at uh, statesman.com or just, you know, put Think Texas in quotation marks and put it into Google and it'll take you there. Isn't that amazing how that works? Yeah. <laughs> I, and, and write to us, please. We, uh, we enjoy getting your feedback, suggestions, uh, ideas for future episodes. You can write to us at mbarnes at statesman.com or jhager at statesman.com. Thank you for tuning in to Austin Found. Happy trails.